You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to This Day in Miami History. I'm your host, Matthew Bunch. Consider this a kind of half episode or special episode or whatever you want to call it. In last month's episode, as part of my research, I had the opportunity to speak to former Miami-Dade County Commissioner Charles Dussault about his experience on the Commission's Transportation Committee, as well as his time in Miami politics. Unfortunately, I was only able to use a small amount of the interview during the course of the episode, but I thought it'd be a terrible waste to not give you, the listener, the opportunity to learn a little bit more about Miami politics and his very unique experience in and around the politics of Miami-Dade County and the state of Florida. So this is my full conversation with former Commissioner Dussault. I encourage you to listen to it. Uh, He has a very unique story uh, about his entree into politics and his insight into the construction and maintenance and operation of Metro Rail is really second to none. There will be a quote-unquote regular episode later this month. Uh, We will be discussing... Uh, one of the biggest names ever to come to Miami uh, in that episode, and I encourage you to check it out. Uh, But in the meantime, please enjoy this interview with former Miami-Dade County Commissioner Charles Dussault. Uh, hi, good morning, Mr. Dussault. How are you? I'm good, and you? I'm doing well, thank you. Um, first off, thank you so much for talking to me. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, oh, that's quite all right, quite all right. I'm retired <laughs> now. I have more time than I used to. Uh, that sounds lovely. I'm, I'm quite jealous. I-, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your background um, and-, and kind of how you wound up diving into... Um, the political world because, you know, vice chairman of, of a bank, vice chairman, you know, involved in Chase Manhattan in the 80s, doesn't scream out as kind of active political participant and especially on, on the Democratic side of the aisle, which you wound up becoming very involved in, 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 in politics, both at the 
county and statewide level. Can you kind of walk me through how you wound up um, jumping into the political world? Well, you know, my my first foray into politics goes back to when I was in high school and was elected uh, president of the student council. Hmm. Um, I, I really, for some reason, had some kind of affinity for the political process going back to the time I was very young. And um, the, my route to getting into political office may have been a little unusual coming from the private sector as I did and from banking as I did and from international banking as I did. But it, it really was a fit in terms of Miami-Dade politics because if you know, we're living here in South Florida, and as I used to say, um, you know, we're, we're really the, the, uh, the center of, of Latin American politics here at the same time you know, we're so close to America, as, as the saying goes. And and so it, uh, I came back from my overseas experience. I was living in Argentina and Brazil, etc. I was working for the bank with the intention of somehow getting involved in, in politics. I didn't know how or what. But after I'd been here for a few years, it, sort of an opportunity presented itself, and I jumped in with both feet. And so it would appear, I've done a little, I hope you don't mind me, but I've done a little bit of kind of digging into some of the, 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 the record and some of the newspaper reporting. It appears that a big kind of turning point for you was your efforts, really before direct electoral politics, was your efforts at reform of the Metro-Dade kind of constitution and the, the, the charter, I guess I should say. Right. And, right. And, no, I, I, in you know, in conjunction with the heads of both the Republican and Democratic parties, then on the Democratic side was uh, Dick Pettigrew, and on the Republican side was Jeb Bush. And hmm. I led a petition drive to change the Dade County government from an at-large system to uh, you know district elections. And uh, even though we weren't successful in doing it via the petition drive, out of that came the lawsuit, which was led by several prominent Miamians, including Maurice Frey and, and others, to uh, to have the courts intervene, and eventually the courts did intervene. Uh, and we have the system we have today, where we have you know district elections for the commission and a, and a strong mayor, which you know, reflects you know our, our form of government at a state and and national level. And so, yeah, you're. Uh, and again, I'm kind of piecing through this a little bit through through reading back through the record, so I'd love if you'd be able to correct anything where I may be wrong. But my understanding is in the old system, it was kind of a free-for-all where basically the top number of vote-getters would get seats on the commission. And so you might have kind of geographic disfavorability for certain regions. Am I understanding that correctly or am I mistaken? No, not exactly. You, you had to live in a district. But you were elected countywide. Yes. So when I ran first ran for the county commission, I ran countywide. So I was running in a jurisdiction that represented over three congressional districts to be on the county commission. But each sector of the county was represented, but everybody in the whole county voted for that individual. I see. Okay. Um, yeah, so you, you could still, even though you were getting people from those regions, you might still have some, some weird geographic factors at play. There were, there was, everybody had a geographic area that they quote unquote represented, but at the same time, 
um, we had to appeal to a larger electorate. Sure. Um, okay, so you you're involved in that process, and like you say, that the 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 first bite at the apple doesn't work out for you, but ultimately it is a success. You do see reform in in county government, and th- this presumably would be probably the biggest step for you in terms of, of, of moving into the political world. It raises your profile. Would, I, would you say that's correct? Well, certainly that was my, my first step in, into uh, you know, political life where, as you say, it elevated you know, me to dealing with people and, and my profile on a county basis. But you know, when I ran countywide after that, I quickly learned that uh, that was I'd only touched a you know a minuscule number of people that the county was huge as I said you know over two million people, three and a half congressional districts so it was a big geography to cover and and obviously a full time job uh, getting elected and you know I was I was fortunate uh, events turned out as they did and, and I was elected and was able to serve. So you're elected and you're sworn in to the county commission on um, Tuesday, October 18th, 1988, um, which is an, an interesting time in, in Miami, and we'll, we'll dive into all aspects of the 80s, um, uh, obviously going forward in, in later episodes of the podcast, but the 80s is such a unique time for the county. The, the, the challenges the county were enormous, but at the same time, the opportunities and the promise available to the county was so enormous too. How, how did you, what was your mindset entering office? What were you focusing on? What, what areas were you specifically trying to target? And um, what areas do you think you were able to find success while in office? Well, you know, given my background, you know, my background is, you know, both economic and international. And, you know, I thought that was a, a very good fit to bring to bring to government. I mean, there, there. The bottom line in government is much different than it is in the private sector. You know, the, the, the driving principle in the private sector is, is uh, efficiency, whereas the bottom line in government is equity. So it, it takes the transition, and people need to look at government differently than they than they do the private sector. The rules are different. The basic um, organizing principle is different. So. I, but at the same time, you have to look at government as having a large group of customers, and that is the general public. So there is an idea of, of efficiency, but always with the bottom line of, of being equity and making sure that everybody is treated equally. So that you know, my my focus was clearly on the economic development side and making government work as efficiently as possible. Always keeping in mind that it has to be equitable. And, you know, government, uh, like, like every other entity, doesn't always get it right. So I worked hard to, to be sure that uh, people were, were treated equally and we brought the most uh, and the greatest amount of opportunity to the greatest number of people possible. So your, like you said, your focus is in international finance, which, which pairs very nicely with with what Miami, in terms of its economic development then and now, um, really was kind of looking for. So it, it does seem to be a natural fit. Um, your, your, your big committee assignment, um, kind of off the bat in 88, is metro transportation, which is a big reason why we're talking, because about, I, I, of course, I want to focus on, on, on public transportation in Miami in the 80s. And so you are handed this challenge 
as it was obviously framed, of Metrorail, because Metrorail had launched in 84, uh, four years on now, four and a half years on now, um, it had become kind of a, a punchline in many ways nationally, and, and, and I should say, I say domestically. It's funny you say Miami's very so close to the United States. It's, it's kind of its own country in some ways sometimes. But, uh, you know, yeah. back at home, uh, there, you know, it was being used, but not to the degree that, that you know, uh, projections and promises had been made and there, there are challenges arising. What's that like, diving into that challenge of, of trying to turn Metrorail around? Well, I can tell you that the committee assignment that I was given was was not based on uh, any uh, any beneficence on the part of then Mayor Steve Clark. Uh, I mean, the, as you say, the uh, Metro Rail was was not viewed very favorably at the time. The entire transportation system, public transportation, has has never been viewed uh, as a, a benefit by a great many, a great proportion of the population. So it, it really was meant more as a, a punishment as, a, as opposed to a reward for getting elected to the commission. Because I was clearly, you know, the outsider. I had beaten, uh, you know, an incumbent who was part of the establishment. And so I was not, you know, viewed favorably necessarily by the establishment. And, and I was not given a plum assignment. But... You know, you try to make uh, lemonade uh, out of lemons, and that's what I tried to do. The issue is, is that you know, infrastructure is either way ahead of the need or way behind. Uh, infrastructure is built in incremental steps. It's not a smooth gradient from you know lack of infrastructure to adequate infrastructure. It's a step function. So. At any given point in time, it's either ahead of the need or behind the need. And that's the issue with Metrorail. At that time, and, and still, we, we, we haven't become a truly urban community. We, we have large parts of this community that's still very much suburban. And fixed rail is an urban solution. And it's being bolted on to almost of a suburban problem. So it was clearly ahead of where, where it needed to be at the time. Congressman Bill Lehman was really the driving force that brought the money necessary to Dade County to build Metro Rail and the People Mover. He was chair of the, uh, the Transportation Appropriations Committee in the House. Uh, he was one of the most powerful people in the House at that time, and he got the money earmarked for Dade County to try to drag it kicking and screaming into the into the 20th century, if you will. So the money came, the system was partially built, but it's not a full system. So when people say, well, it doesn't go where I want it to go, well, by definition, it couldn't starting out. And it still doesn't go everywhere in the county, but it is a more complete system than it was. And if you look at you know, the Bricklayer in downtown and, and going up Biscayne Boulevard and uh, now the extension to the airport, it's starting to, to be fleshed out, but it's clearly not a complete system yet, but it's working on it. You know, the, the people mover really services the downtown area in, in a pretty comprehensive fashion, and Metrorail feeds into that in a, in a fashion better than it did before. But it's still lacking some things. And some of the things that's lacking is somehow that last mile 
that last mile piece. How do you get people from you know their houses to the metro rail station, or how do they um, find a facility to park if they're driving to the metro rail station? Um, how do we build infrastructure around the metro rail station so that there's critical mass of people to use it? And if you look at where it was back then, there was no infrastructure built around the metro rail stations. Now you see huge buildings going up, like at 37th Avenue, yes. huge apartment buildings going up to build in the human infrastructure around the metro rail stations. In places like Washington, D.C., when a metro rail station was built, that that property around there went up significantly in value and there was a lot of infrastructure built. That has come slowly here. As a matter of fact, when I was on the commission, I proposed the building of a county facility in, um, on, in, uh, on Martin Luther, in Martin Luther King Station, or the, the area on 62nd Street, and it took a while for that to get built. Uh, but that was the first county facility that was built on a metro rail station that would feed traffic into the system. And you're seeing that more and more. It's down at Dayland now. You've got it being built out in South Miami. The parking garage there is being built up. Um, you have it at 37th Avenue. They're talking, you're saying 27th and even even at uh, the uh, Biscaya station now. So it, it's happening. It's happening slowly. You're having the under uh, underlying being built, so you're incorporating the metro rail system into the park system. So it, it's a long, slow process that has occurred, but it's a process of us moving from being a suburban community to being a more urban community. And you know the infrastructure is sort of already in place, and the community is catching up with it slowly. That, that's really interesting you mentioned that because I, I, I moved to Miami in 2005. I was originally born in Baltimore, and um, I, uh, I moved here to go to the University of Miami. And, I, you know, growing up in Baltimore, I had been in D.C., and D.C. has this metro system. And you're right. It is a, a system built roughly around the same time, a little bit earlier, but around the same time, that yeah. is so much more integrated into the community at large than metro rail is. And as a UM student, metro rail was great because – the university, as you said, was the infrastructure for the university stop, but pretty much the only stops you saw that for prior to the airport expansion was Government Center, University Stop, and Dadeland. There had been building around the Dadeland stations, um, but beyond that, there wasn't any, and you're really only within the last five years or so seeing the public-private partnerships to really try to build up some of these other stops. Yeah, well, and, and also the, the link... Uh, to tri-rail. I mean, I was chairman of the tri-rail board as well for for a period, and so we face the same problems there. The last mile, the need for parking, uh, getting the bus routes to feed in into the tri-rail stations. All of that takes time and money, and and again, the infrastructure was is really somewhat ahead of, of the community in terms of its growth as opposed to D.C., where you, you had a city with a lot of uh, population density already in place, and so the metro rail system was being built to the needs of the community as opposed to here in Miami, where the infrastructure trans- transportation infrastructure was actually ahead of, of where, the, where the community was. 
That's a fair point. So, like we said, you're you're coming online. I mean, you're coming into county government in, in '88, and, and you're dealing with. Actually, you know what? Let me put a pin in that question. I want to go back to one other thing. Um, I, I've been trying to dig into this a little bit more, and again, learning more about the Metrorail system, and specifically as it was being built up um, in in the mid to late '70s, and kind of the the debates that are going on there. And I know this is before your time in government, but maybe you can give me an answer to this. Maybe not. Um, the proposed Metrorail plan, my understanding of Metrorail was build it piece by piece, right? Build piece one, build piece two, build to the airport, go over there. That really wasn't what was originally on the table. The original plan was this very big proposal that kind of went everywhere, that really blew my mind, that then kind of got whittled down and choices had to be made because of funding, which is not surprising, again, understanding different challenges uh, fiscally in the late 70s and then changes in, in government attitudes towards infrastructure in the 80s. Um, but a, a big thing that I've tried to get an answer to is why the airport connection wasn't made more of a priority in in the 70s and early 80s during construction and why that got kicked down the road for so long. Um, do you have any insight on that? And, and, you know, All I've read is basically an amorphous lobbying explanation that there was lobbying that really pushed the connection away from the airport. Do you have any more insight on that? Um, yeah, it, it, it was very clear what happened, and that was the taxi lobby convinced people on the commission that uh, they shouldn't connect the airport because it was going to cut into their revenues. It was it was very clear what happened. And so that, that, that piece uh, was delayed way, way beyond the time when it was needed and appropriate to be built. And you're right, it should have been built in right up front because that was the most natural connection. But it was, uh, you know, financial interest in this community that uh, convinced some people in county government uh, to not include that in the initial plan. That's fascinating. I did not know that. Thank you. That's that's much more specific, and, and it, it makes sense. I mean, I, I don't agree with it, but it it that's now that that piece now fits in a lot clearer. And, and so, is that why basically it it appears the commission chose between the airport and a northward extension towards Hialeah, and then the, that that became the choice to go north instead of west. Well, I, you know, technically speaking, at the time, the link to the airport probably could have been done at the same time as as the as the line that went out you know to Hialeah given the the length of that addition, incremental line it wasn't that far they didn't have to go that much uh, further to create that link it it wasn't at the time I don't believe either or either you go to Hialeah or go to the airport they could have done both but they just crossed out the line to the airport because of uh, of the taxi lobby so it wasn't even a choice. It was just an X out. No. I, don't, I don't believe it was a choice. And the, it, the cost of going to the airport, given the cost of the, that was at the time, the rest of the system, I think could have, could have been absorbed. That's fascinating. That's really fa- Thank you so much for that because that's been something I've had a really hard time pinning down. But that, that, makes, that makes total sense. And that's very interesting. The, the, the realities of funding this infrastructure in the 80s is, is is so fascinating to me and then it winds up not being that issue at all it winds up just being kind of homegrown lobbying that's fascinating yeah so sadly sadly uh, that's far too often the case that's that's really interesting
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. So you mentioned, again, you, you get this assignment, you, you, you draw the short straw, or the short straw is handed to you um, <laughs> by, by Mayor Clark, and you are basically now kind of in charge of trying to make this into, you know, from a punchline to progress, right? And right. You, you are early 1989, Bayside um, comes online in downtown, really important uh, you know, a uh, moment for the city in terms of its kind of transportation, uh, to transportation, tourism message um, to the re- to the rest of the country. The Today Show comes down. Um, Brian Gumble, Jane Pauley, the whole bit for a week in Miami, and you are asked to join the show and and talk about your responsibilities as a new member of the commission. Um, can you tell me about how you wound up getting invited? Well, uh, obviously, I think. What they were looking for is something of a of a gotcha kind kind of interview. You know, they've got President Reagan uh, talking about uh, buying a limousine for everybody who, who were daily riders on on the metro rail, and so you know, for them, this is uh, you know they they see this as a a cheap shot that they can this they can do down here in Miami, come down from New York and, and have, you know, show the, the locals here how clever they are. And so, you know, I got invited to, uh, you know, defend the Metro Rail system, if you will, against President Reagan's comments. And, you know, I, I think I uh, explained exactly what I'm, what I'm telling you now, that, you know, the, the system infrastructure is built in, in as a step function. And clearly, the community was transitioning from being a suburban to an urban community. And that process uh, in, in in actual development terms is, has been at a you know, light speed down here in, in South Florida. We've grown so rapidly and, and vertically so quickly, it it's really makes your head spin almost. Yeah. But... You know, obviously, it was ahead of the infrastructure, and it, you know, it still is to a certain degree. And so, I went on, and you know, I made that case. Uh, that's I don't know, if that's what they wanted to hear, but I did. Uh, I attempted to make that case and explain the system, but 
you know, it's a lot easier to do a cheap shot in their part than it is to, uh, you know, try to explain a system. And, uh, you know, in politics, if it doesn't fit on a bumper sticker, you've kind of lost the argument. And explaining uh, uh, the uh, justification for a big infrastructure project like this uh, is something that is not what people really consider entertainment so you know that that show in the morning is you know part news part entertainment and uh, they were trying to make entertainment out of a very serious subject well and that was the thing i was and this will be my last question about it and then i kind of want to talk about uh, events afterwards but in my research about this i i kind of tripped across this interview on youtube and i couldn't get over the fact that you're a new commissioner you're you're in the seat's barely warm from you you know what i mean you're asked on to the today show um and when you think of the Today Show, you say it's, it is news, but it's as much entertainment as news, and it's pretty soft news. You, you, yeah. When you think of hard interviews on the Today Show, it's Tom Cruise and you. You know, it's <laughs> <laughs> it's elite company. You don't typically see um, kind of, that, and, you know, I, I couldn't get over that. Like, it, it was very, it, it was, it was it almost, I wouldn't say almost, it was mean-spirited in a way. And where you're trying to explain what you're trying to accomplish, but the focus is so much backwards on what had already happened. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm not sure if it made it in an interview, but, you know, Jane Polly was, there was some conversation about, uh, you know, people using Metrorail, not using Metrorail as opposed to New York. And, and I, I believe I, I asked her uh, about, Parking in New York, and you know, parking in New York then was you know, I don't know, uh, $15 an hour or something, as opposed to you know, $3 a day in Dade County. So, the incentives to use public transportation in an urban community like that are so much greater than in a community like Dade's time that, as you say, it, it was not necessarily done uh, in anything but a mean spirited fashion. I mean, they, were, they were looking for some way to. Uh, you know, pile on, if you will, on on President Reagan's comments, and and again, they they didn't want a serious conversation. They they just wanted to play gotcha. But you know, I I, uh, I thought it was a good opportunity to explain where the system was. You know, I didn't create it. I was handed the responsibility to try to make the most of it, and, and that's what we tried to do. And you know, in subsequent steps, you know, the one thing that I. I I do take great pride in is, you know, Bill Lehman then got the additional funding to build the expansion of the people mover downtown, you know, to make it, to build out the downtown system so that people in that very urban environment would have a, a means of getting around other than getting in, in their car. And, you know, I'm very proud of the fact that despite Hurricane Andrew, that that system was, was brought in under budget, the, the expansion was under budget, and only slightly over scheduled time, which was caused by Hurricane Andrew, uh, because we took a different approach. We we didn't let property owners hold us hostage when we were building the the, the new the people mover stations. In the when they built the original ones, they the landowners many times held the county hostage in terms of buying the the right-of-way to put the stations and you know I worked with county staff and I said look if the landowner wants to be unreasonable and charge an inordinate amount or hold us up tell them we're just going to put the station in the right-of-way in front of their business we're not we're not going to be held hostage 
as, as we've done previously. And then suddenly those property owners became much more cooperative. And that's why the, the incremental system that we built under, you know, under my watch was brought in you know, on budget. So you you mentioned kind of the the look ahead, right? The the interview is is national TV, but you you're you're grinding, you're doing the work, um, and and you're able to bring, as you said, the Metro Root Mover, which is a key part of this whole system, online relatively successfully. Um, so you you obviously then I I would assume you would say that you found some. Um, some tailwinds, even after this interview, you're able to find points of success, find engagement with the federal government, find the funds necessary, develop strategies to, to really improve transportation. Well, what, you know, what we did is the, we had the funds from the federal government. We had, you know, we had to take care of the operations at the county level once the thing is built. And that was the expansion, I think, as I recall, is going to be something like $3 million a year or something. And so what we did is we, I created a working group with people from the transportation industry, including the labor unions, to find an equivalent amount of annual savings to offset the incremental operating expense that the, the expansion of the people mover would bring. And, you know, that group worked to find those savings and, you know, those savings then went on to pay the annual operating expenses of the system. So, you know, it is possible to work with people in the unions and bring government and the private sector together to make the system work. And again, you know, infrastructure like this is something that is a benefit to everybody, even if you're in your car driving to work, the fact that there's you know, 10, 20, 30,000 people a day not in their cars clogging up the highways is a benefit to everybody. You know, the, the, in, with transportation, nobody expects the road system to pay for itself, and yet people expect somehow public transportation to earn a profit when they're all providing the exact same service. We, we pay taxes to build a highway system. We pay taxes to provide transportation services of various forms, including subsidize, subs, subs, uh, subsidies in a variety of fashions. If people look at you know, the airport system, every ticket that you buy has a significant federal tax on it that pays for the construction and maintenance and, and uh, uh, ongoing operations of, of airports. But nobody complains about about that but if they have to pay to ride a bus to ride metro rail they complain if they have to pay a um, uh, you know some kind of fee on on an expressway everybody complains but you know somebody's going to pay one way or the other it's either taxes or or direct payment but transportation costs money sure absolutely now you you eventually leave the commission and, and you take on a statewide position as secretary of commerce um, and you served there three years. Um, not necessarily directly related to Metrail, but I'm just kind of curious, what's that experience like from you going from municipal to statewide? Well, you know, I, in a sense, you know, Dade County is a microcosm of the rest of the state. We, we have a very urban center. At the same time, we have a very active and vibrant agricultural component as well and everything in between. So what was, you know, I think, most interesting is to realize how big of a, a state this is and how diverse each of the different pieces are. Um, 
you know, Lawton Childs, my boss, Governor Childs, you know, used to say, you know, Florida's not a community at the crowd. And mm-hmm. in that sense, he was right. We, you know, the people in Jacksonville, is a, it's a very different community than, than Miami, which is very different than Orlando, which is very different than Pensacola or, or Tampa. And each of these communities are, are different, but at the same time, what probably I think surprised me the most is how uh, disliked Miami Dade <laughs> Miami Dade is. Mm-hmm. I, when I when I was I would have meetings sometimes with people from around the state. They were in my office asking me for some some kind of assistance with uh, you know with my department, and uh, at the same time to be bad mouthing. Dade County, even though I guess he knew I was from Dade County. And it, it's surprising how uh, this part of the state, which is so vital to the economic health of the state, is, is not viewed favorably. And, you know, I, I, I really think our county delegation needs to do a better job of working with other urban communities around the state to form an urban coalition. Because Unfortunately, the more rural parts of the states um, tend to dominate the the political discussion, and so the state government tends to come up with suburban solutions to urban problems. And we we have real urban problems here, and for some reason, there's not a coordination amongst the various urban delegations to work more closely to solve those urban-focused problems, like transportation, amongst so many others. It's very interesting you include that story because kind of what motivated me to start the whole podcast is I don't think there's a, a, a metropolitan area that more people don't know about that they think they know about. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Everyone that's thinks they know Miami, but they really don't because they don't live here. Um, and so your your anecdote there was was absolutely perfect. Um, so I'm, I'm, I have one more question for you. I want to thank you so much for your time beforehand. I'll thank you again afterward, though. But one more question. So we are now 30 years past, really, your, your assumption of the commission. We are um, almost 40 years uh, to the launch of Metro Rail. And it, like you said, it's faced challenges. It's faced derision from the most powerful man on the planet, right? It has faced all kinds of these 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 headwinds. Um, but there there does appear to be, especially in the last decade, a, a bit of a momentum shift with it, where you do have the airport expansion, um, you, you do have some increased ridership, you have generally nationally a greater focus on public transportation and, and locally people seem to be adapting it more you have the, like you said this infrastructure being built out from stations that that you had argued for um so long ago um where do you see metro rail going forward in in the next 40 years well i think there there needs to be a, a continuation of the process and some decisions i think some hard decisions need to be made in, in terms of uh, building that infrastructure around the stations there's, uh, I think there's too many stations where the the idea of uh, a um, a corridor, you know, transportation corridor, and what that means has not been fully implemented. And you know what I mean by that is uh, allowing for greater density uh, within a certain radius of of the um, of the stations, and you know because you have so many distinct municipalities surrounding the stations 
that those municipalities tend to control what the zoning looks like and what infrastructure is built around them as opposed to the county which has the responsibility of you know paying for and managing the the transportation system so the county gets blamed for the system not working properly but it's in many times local communities that aren't exactly helping with the process and i know it's it's hard for uh you know, a city commissioner and Coral Gables to say, well, we need to have more density here when, you know, that commissioner's constituents in that particular area don't want to see more density. But, you know, that's what leaders are supposed to do. They're supposed to help lead the community and not, not just follow the public sentiment and educate the community about how the whole system works so that, you know, the proper decisions can, can be made for the benefit of the whole community. Um, you know, at, at some stage, I'm, I'm hopeful to see some additional changes in county government. You know, the, the biggest city in the state of Florida is still unincorporated Dade County. Hmm. And what many people don't realize is that, you know, most of the, you have a great many of the commissioners that do not live in the city that they control. You know, UMSA, as it's called, Unincorporated Municipal Service Area, uh, is the biggest city in the state of Florida. And so the, the county commissioners also serve as the city commissioners for that area, including the area where I live here in High Pines. But we don't elect the people that are in essence running city government. So I'm, I'm hopeful at some point that there is a move, a successful move, to somehow either incorporate all of those areas as independent cities or annex them into existing cities as pretty much exists, for instance, in, in Broward County, or to go back to the original premise of Metro Dade government of having all the individual cities, in essence, disappear under one big county government, which is the case up in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. So we're we're still in the, the middle of that process. I don't know which direction it eventually goes or how that change eventually happens, but in places like Jacksonville or in Indianapolis where there has been a consolidation of city and county government, it usually happened because of some sort of a crisis, and um, maybe that's what's gonna take care for for it to happen. And and I think once that happens, that, that also will have a, a positive benefit, a real positive benefit going forward. But uh, in the meantime, you know, there's a, there's a struggle between different levels of government in terms of making things happen between the various cities, the county, and, and the state. Uh, so everybody's not always on the same page, and uh, I'm hopeful to see that happen to a greater degree. That would be an interesting day to see all those forces united together. Um, Commissioner Charles Dussault, thank you so much for your time. Um, and, and your insight. I learned a lot today. I really do appreciate it. So it was a pleasure talking to you and uh, to recall uh, some good days gone by. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about.
As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.